everybody. Welcome to the Disciple Makers Podcast by discipleship.org. This is your host, Dave Stovall, and today we're going down part two of an episode about discipling women. This features Michelle Eagle from my church, Harpeth Christian Church. So if you haven't listened to part one, I encourage you to skip back to the previous episode before going any further. In this episode, we're talking about how disciple making comes in many shapes and sizes, and how do you determine what is right for your church? Michelle's talking to us about the nuts and bolts of several types of disciple making strategies and the pros and cons that go with them along with the must-haves of every disciple making ministry. These womenofrenew.org episodes have been fantastic. They're not just for women. You can grab some uh, pretty crucial information here, whether you're male or female. So keep listening. All right, y'all, let's listen to Michelle Eagle from Women of Renew. Here we go. Uh, Thanks, everybody, for coming back. Um, If you weren't here earlier, um, I'm Michelle Eagle, and I work at Harpeth Christian Church, um, but I'm here actually representing Renew. Um, I also do kind of a side gig with Renew pretty regularly because it's actually out of our church. So whenever Bobby says, hey, can you write an article for Renew? Sure. Um, We're actually writing, I'm writing a book with, uh, for Renew with um, a pastor out of, Uh, Murfreesboro on identity. So I'm really excited because that should be here next um, spring. We should be finished with it Um, because we're just now in the starting to write the chapters phase. So it's really exciting. But um, but that'll come out through Renew also. Um, um, Jason asked me to, who is our kind of CEO guy of Renew, asked me to give a little plug for Renew. I gave you a sheet of paper um, that had information about Renew it's a little confusing between Renew and D.org. I, I will, we will own that. Um, they were started both out of Harpeth Christian Church. Bobby Harrington is the lead for both of them. Um, but they have, they're kind of two different animals. One is um, the theology and one is methodology. So um, Renew is renewing really the teachings of the Bible. And so it's a network of churches that say, you know what, we are going to stand firm in biblical teachings. And it's usually independent Christian churches, and so they don't have a tribe. And so we're trying to create a tribe to support them. There's a lot of resources. There's a lot of free resources. There's lots of podcasts. There's lots of um, free downloads of books, all those kinds of things. So feel free to go there and just play around in it. Um, It's really good. Uh, And then we've got d.org which is basically um, discipleship. And so we believe that discipleship is the answer to um, really creating mature believers. And so any organization that says discipleship is our core, um, there's a few things that have to agree to as far as um, theology, but it's less theology-based and more discipleship-based. So that's, so that's more of the practical side of it um, and methodology. So that's the difference between the two animals. Um, We usually do put the conferences together. Um, And so if you just came to D.org the last day or so, Renew happened right before it. And so we usually do them together, mostly because all of us are working with it together. So, um, And it's a great way just to spend, you know, two days getting it all kind of knocked out. Renew also does uh, regional events. And so you may look for some of those around. Um, And Renew does uh, learning communities and different things like that for lead pastors so that they can all start finding some really good supportive communities um, too. So you can always talk to your lead pastors about if they're interested in that. All right, my contact information is here. I am happy to talk to anybody anytime about any of this. So please write it down, give it to a friend, um, feel free to reach out. 
we talked earlier about the necessity for moving women's discipleship or women's ministries into a disciple-making kind of machine. Um, but uh, how? Um, I have been playing around with this for years. Um, like I said earlier, our our church probably 12 to 14 years ago started making the shift. It took years to make the shift. It was not overnight. It was, we like to call it turning a cruise ship, not turning a, a motorboat. Okay. So, um, and we did lose some people. Um, we lost some elders in the process. They weren't on board with disciple making. They wanted, they thought it had to be a either or Bible teaching or disciple making, um, and didn't understand what the purpose was. Um, why mature people. We've had people that have said, well, as long as they know the truth and are told the truth, they should be able to obey it. That's what I do. And I'm like, okay, well, you are the 1% of people that can just hear something in the Bible and go, oh, yes, I cognitively assent to that, and I will completely put that into practice in my entire life. Um, but that's not me, and that's not the majority of people. Um, most people need some accountability. Most people need some, can you show me an example of what it looks like to love your spouse well? Um, because right now I'm having trouble doing it. Um, and so, so that's where disciple-making comes in. Um, I'm always looking for a better curriculum, a better system. Uh, we have whiteboarded so many systems, coaching systems. We've white everything. We've, we've come up with different curriculums over the years, um, and we kind of settled in over the last five years, probably maybe a little bit longer than that, eight years, um, on the way that we're doing it. And I'll explain that to you. Um, it doesn't mean that it is the only way. It's not. Um, there are probably better ways to do it out there. This is what we know. This is our bread and butter. And so this is what we do. Um, and they gave me a mic, so I guess I get to share what we do. Um, but you may have a better system of where you're doing it, or you may know somebody. It's one of the biggest things is, is it reproducible? Can your average person that has a heart for disciple making, that's emotionally mature, spiritually mature, can they do it? Um, and if the answer is no, then that's probably not a great system. Um, but if the answer is yes, um, then keep going with it, you know? Um, we talked about uh, at the top of the funnel last time, um, a little bit more about the top. Let me make a little more better organization here. Um, but I want to focus more on these bottom, the bottom parts of the, of the funnel, uh, because the disciple-making groups um, and the intentional disciple-making relationships, I spelled it wrong there too. Apparently I just copied the slide from the first one. Um, are important. So think about the, the disciple-making groups, 8 to 15 people. Those are your Bible studies a lot of times. Um, some Bible studies are much bigger than that, but a lot of times that's the size of the Bible study. I think that's a great size for transferring information and also talking about the big rocks. You know, at 8 to 15 people, you can talk about the big rocks in your life. Um, also, people cannot talk about the rocks in their life. <laughs> they can also hide in that size group. Um, the leader has to be very intentional on drawing people out and asking very open-ended questions. Um, but it is possible to do it. Um, so you can get to, to somewhat of a transparent level in, that, in, that, in those discipleship size groups. Um, but we found that's a great place to kind of lay the foundations of some of the um, theories behind spiritual maturity, spiritual growth. So one of the things that we do is... We will have two um, Bible studies going on at the same time. And so one of them is more of a traditional Bible study, um, usually video-driven or something like that. And then we have um, groups that, that kind of talk about the study and that. And then I usually do one on spiritual formation. 
That's my bread and butter. That's what I love to do. And so I will teach it all day long on spiritual formation. So we'll do a book study on spiritual formation in this size group. That's usually about how many people end up signing up for it. We started out with like the first time I offered it, we had like five people. I'm like, all right, well, great. This is a nice small group. So we can really, I can really ask some questions. Um, And then the group started getting a little bit bigger. And we're usually between 15 and 20 people um, in that study. And those are the people that are like realizing, you know what? I really do want to grow. Um, and maybe this is their first step into kind of some spiritual formation stuff. So we'll do Dallas Willard. We'll do some of the other uh, spiritual formation type studies. And those go really well. And I can teach leaders in that and hand that study over to somebody else because they're comfortable in that setting. Um, and they can ask. They'll, the leaders in there will start to know who they can ask the questions to. That'll pop the top on the group. And so give them permission to do that. Um, and I'll even take somebody aside and go, hey, I know that you're comfortable like sharing your stuff, so I'm going to ask you some harder questions today. And they're like, okay, great, I don't care. I'm totally open book. Um, and so I will. I'll dive deeper with that person. Then you see the people around the room. Some of them get a little nervous because they're afraid that you're going to go to them next. But most of the time they're like, oh, yeah, me too. Yeah, I feel that way too. But it's okay to ask somebody ahead of time, hey, I know that you had this going on in your life, so can I use that to pop the top? And it's okay if they say no, then just move on to the next person. Um, But I teach my leaders to do that, um, and it pops the top pretty regularly on a lot of the studies um, when they actually have kind of a ringer in the room or two. Um, And then the next week they can do the same thing, and they don't even have to ask because now it's fair game. Um, But you would be surprised how many other people will actually pop up and become transparent depending on who the most, they will go to the most transparent person. Now, obviously, you have people that overshare. We all have those, and we've all been in studies where somebody starts really oversharing. So you do have to teach your leaders how to shut things down, too. Um, I've done many a time, you know, let's stop and pray about that (laughs) and do the hands-on praying, and we kind of shut that down, Um, and then I'll meet with them afterwards to, you know, debrief on what's going on. But but in a group that size, I'm not going to change the whole dynamics of the group for the day because of that one person's crisis because it's just not fair to the group. Um, But that is a good size um, to do that. But what we're looking for is the transformation groups. So this is Peter, James, and John. All right. This is like I talked about earlier. Jesus knew them. He spent a lot of his time with them, more time than he did with the other disciples. Um, He was, he was, putting the energy into them because he wanted to make them into the leaders that he needed them to be. Um, And so that's what we're looking at at our um, transparent uh, group. In our transformation groups, in other words, keep going back and forth, but um, that's what we're looking for. We're looking for the people that are goers. We also are looking for the people that that um, can have a relationship with the leader, that they're willing to submit to that leader. These guys submitted to Jesus. And obviously, I mean, he came and worked in some miracles, and so he had some, some extra cards in his pocket that you might not have, but, um, but, he, but they submitted. Um, and they may have fought back sometimes, and, and they didn't understand everything that he said, but he also took them aside later and said, here, let me explain what I was actually talking about. Um, and these are the people that, that need to know um, you, and they need to know um, what's going on. And so we set the bar for our um, transformation groups with a very high transparency. And so the people that are in my group, let's say, they know what's going on in my life. If I had an argument with my husband the day before, they're going to hear about it. Um, if I made a bad choice, they're going to hear about it. If I made a good choice, they'll probably hear about it too. Um, if I did something that... 
Um, I made a good decision, but I really didn't want to. I'm going to tell them that, that because I want them to see that, yeah, we still have to be obedient even when we don't feel like it. Um, so we're going to be transparent, and I have the relationship with them that I can ask hard questions to them. When they start telling me all about their husband and the terrible things that they're doing, I'm like, so tell me your part. What was your reaction when he did those things? Because I bet that hurt. And they're like, oh, no, no, no it was fine. No, tell me a little bit more. Let's get some more details in that. Um, because we have to go to the next level. And they're not used to doing that. They're used to having the friend that they call when something goes wrong. And the friend is like, oh, my gosh, you're right. Da, 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 da. Um, they're not used to the person that's going to challenge them. Um, but because you've shared your stuff, um, you have permission to ask them the hard questions. But if you're not willing to share your stuff, then you're not going to be, you're not going to have the relationship that you're going to be allowed to actually ask them their hard questions. Um, and they can ask me hard questions. Um, when there are things, usually they're in a stage of life that's, that's, um, younger than I am, usually, um, especially for these groups. The things that I messed up with my kids, I'm like, yeah, I did not do that well. You know, if they'll bring something up where they're, they're struggling with their kids, I'm like, yeah, no, um, I can tell you what you shouldn't do. <laughs> this is the example of where I wouldn't have done this this way. Looking back, in hindsight, I would have done this instead. It would have been a hard decision to make, but I would have decided this instead. And why? I would have done that because, biblically, this is what my job was to do. It wasn't to be their friend. It was to be, you know, their parent. Um, and so, they need to hear that. They need to hear the spaces that you're like, yeah, I have regret. Whew, do I regret that? That was a bad decision. Or I should never have said that to my husband. That just ate him up. And, and they need to hear those things. Um, I think as leaders, we feel like we're supposed to be, we're maybe not perfect, but we're at least supposed to, to show them a side of us that means like we have it all together because I can't lead if I don't have it all together. And it is just the opposite, polar opposite of that. I mean, obviously, you don't want to be a basket case while you're leading them, but, <laughs> but they, need to they need to know. Um, we start our groups. Um, they're usually four to six people, uh, same gender. Um, we start our groups with autobiographies. And so the autobiographies are um, the leaders goes first, um, and everybody's going to go as transparent as that leader's willing to go transparent. And so this isn't the fluffy, like I came to faith kind of thing. Um, this is the, these are the big hurts from my childhood. These are the places that I, I regret. These are the wins that where God just showed up in a big way. Um, and these are the places I didn't show up. Um, it's that kind of autobiography. It takes 45 minutes to an hour for each person. Um, and at the end of it, they can ask you questions. I had, I had one person do their autobiography and she was like moving through it. And then she said, well, when I got married for the second time, I was like, I don't remember hearing the first marriage. And so at the end of it, I'm like, could, could we scroll back to when you got married for the first time? She's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was like right out of Husky. It lasted like four months. I'm like, still significant, still significant. We should count that. You know, We do it in written form. So they either write it out and they read it or they do it bulleted. And the reason we do that is because if they don't, they tend to get off in stories. Um, and it takes hours later, you're still there. Um, or they'll skip parts the hard parts that they actually don't really want to share. Um, if they're just, you know, word vomiting it at, in, the, in the moment, they won't share those hard parts a lot of times. So we have them bullet it. If somebody can't make it the night that somebody is sharing their story, 
Um, in our groups, we have high accountability. So you sign a covenant that says you will get there um, unless there's some kind of emergency, you'll be there. Now, there are times when people go on vacation, stuff like that. Obviously, that's okay. Um, but if they're um, not able to be there because of some type of whatever happens, then we have the two of the two people that if they're sharing their, their autobiography, that person needs to go get together separately and they still need to hear their autobiography. You don't get off the hook from hearing somebody's just because you're not there. Um, but that's on them. And I just, I'm like, you guys find the time to do that. Because it's really important that everybody hears everybody's. Um, and it dives that group really deep. Um, I think we've taken um, it for granted about doing this because this is just how we've always done it. And I was talking to somebody that has done discipleship groups in different ways, and she started doing it this way because um, for a while we did some coaching through Renew. And so I was coaching her through it, and she was hesitant. She was like, I don't think my my women are going to be willing to do this. I'm like, well, that's part of being in the group. They're going to, just like if you were to choose a book study, they would do the book study. So this is just part of it. And so she said, okay, well, I'll present it. So they all did it. And she just at the end of it goes, this is the magic sauce. This is the sauce that binds the group together because now I know your story and you know my story. And guess what? We actually have things in common that we never thought we had in common. And now I can see you through the lens of, wow, you had a really sucky childhood. <laughs> and I am so sorry for that. And that sure does make me see you differently when I see you parent your kids. And so it puts, it levels out the playing field in your group um, with people that didn't know each other prior to coming into the group. And so I really encourage, if you're going to do a group, not to skip that section. Because um, it can be easy just to want to dive into the studies. Um, but but that's, that's a magic sauce. And for the men's groups, because we have men's group too, um, they, most of them have never shared their stories. Women tend to share our stories a little bit more easily. Um, most have never shared their stories before, at least not at that level, and never been accepted for their stories. Uh, and so it is, it is a total game changer, especially for the guys. Uh, but we really encourage it. If you want to go to um, renew.org, there is a free download, um, transparency, how to start a transparency group. I mentioned it in the previous one. Uh, it has how to do an autobiography. Um, it's got a little graph on it where you just put your, your dates and your times and what happened and all that. Um, and like I said, the, the, the people in the group, just like, like these guys did with Jesus, they submit to the leader. So when they sign up to be in the group, there is an intentional leader. It's not a facilitator. It's a leader of the group. And so if the leader, the leaders that you have need to be empowered to lead. So it doesn't, it's, everything is not a democracy. Um, in the group. Um, yes, we get opinions, but I have the leaders decide what the day they're going to meet, um, what's convenient for the leader. And yes, we get opinions, and some people may not be able to meet on certain days, but if it's going to be a really imposition for that leader to do the, a day, don't do it that day. <laughs> like, this needs to be good for you. Um, and so, and the place that you meet, if your house is not someplace that's comfortable for you to, to, to meet at, well, let's figure out someplace else you can meet. It's not going to be in Panera, but we'll figure out someplace for you to meet. And it might be somebody else in the group that has the perfect home to be able to do it in. Um, but let's, let's support our leaders in that way. This, the leadership, I want their efforts to be put in discipling people. I don't want their efforts to have to be putting into hosting. We don't serve food. We don't serve drinks. Everybody that, that comes to my groups at my house, they know where the glasses are and they're welcome to get something to drink. Um, 
but this isn't for hospital. The, the hospitality is just my front door is unlocked and they know to come in. Um, they most of them have a key code to get into my house if I'm not there on time. But that's the hospitality that we're asking for because we don't want them to be making cookies, spending time making cookies. Um, and that can be a hard sell for some people that really are high in hospitality. Um, but remember the reproducible piece of this. So that if you are really high in hospitality, and so every time you make fresh, fresh lemonade and you make cookies for everybody when they come, the people in your group that want to reproduce, they're going to think that's the standard. And they're going to be like, oh, I can't do that. I can't even have people in my house, much less make homemade cookies. Um, and I've had people refuse to lead groups because they couldn't get to the standard of hospitality that the, the group leader that they had had, you know? And I was like, I don't even care if you vacuum. Like, just unlock your door, you know? Um, but, but because that can be in women's minds as being very important, um, and I get the, the reasons why that is, but that's not what this is for. This is for, they know, they're refrigerator friends. Um, they're the friends that are allowed to open up your refrigerator to get a Coke out if they want. Um, and so that's, that's the kind of hospitality you're trying to, to establish, not um, making sure that the house smells fresh and that you've got, you know, the right linens out. But that can be hard for people to get. Um, our groups last 12 to 18 months. I was talking to somebody earlier. Uh, the reason we do that is because they can get stale um, and they can get clicky and they can get where they're like, no, 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 I can't be in another group without my peeps. And so we want to, we want to turn these groups over. Um, the people that have grown in the group need to use that maturity someplace else. It may be that they go into another group. Um, they may go and lead another group. Um, if they're ready to lead a group, they may take it and go, you know what? I'm going to focus on my kids for a season because I realize that I haven't been giving them my best. And so I'm like, fantastic. Take that, take that maturity and go there. Let me know when, when you're in a different season and, and you're ready to, to do, to, to disciple some women. Um, some of them might end up doing one-on-one -on -one discipleship with somebody. Um, some of them, like I said, may lead another group. Um, some may go work in student ministry. I don't care. Just use the maturity somewhere. <laughs> and we used to say at the beginning, we, it used to be this, you need to lead. We, we were trying to get leaders. We want to multiply, so we want everybody to lead another T group. It's not realistic, y'all. You can say that all day long, but that is not reality because if somebody starts as an infant or a child in their spiritual development, they're not going to get to the grandparent stage or parent stage in a year, a year and a half. They might. I mean, you got really somebody that's really into it. But they may not be ready to actually lead a group, and that's okay. Um, sometimes we'll send off two people together. Um, so we'll send off a leader and then somebody that maybe is not quite ready to lead um, to go start a group. We call them missionaries so that it's exciting and it's fun. Um, we celebrate when groups end. Um, it's not a sad time. Um, I've had people that have then moved into, they've taken a couple months off, and then they move into another group. Um, and that's okay, too. Um, I've had every variety of transformation group. Ones I liked, ones I really didn't like that much. <laughs> I've had ones where I was super excited. Oh, gosh, the group's coming over tonight. And the other ones where I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going to do this tonight. Um, I've had groups where people have dropped out um, and they did, weren't real happy with me. Um, and I've had groups that have been beautiful and flourished and, and their, others are in their leading groups now themselves. Um, so... <laughs> I wish there was a magic sauce for me to tell you what kind of group will is best. Um, the fun ones are the ones where people are really completely bought in and they want to grow. 
um, and they want to they want to hear biblical truth. They want to bring a situation up, and you go, let's look, let's see what Jesus says about that. Um, and then they're like, okay, I'm going to try that. I'll report to you tomorrow. Um, almost all of us are on GroupMe, um, and so we communicate that way in between meetings. Uh, some of them are on um, what's that one, Marco Polo. Yeah, some of them are on like Marco Polo as a group, you know. Um, they do need to have touch points in between meetings because we meet once a week and we meet for about an hour and a half and you can't be completely in each other's lives unless you've got some touch points in between. So I also do things like ask one person in the group to maybe follow up with somebody else um, so that it's not all about like everybody reporting back to me. But if I'm developing a leader, then I'm going to say, hey, Sally, so, uh, you know, Mary was, was really struggling. Will you reach out to her tomorrow? Uh, will you have coffee with her offline and talk about what you were trying to explain during the meeting? Um, if somebody's oversharing, if somebody is um, trying to fix, if somebody is, is taking up all the time, that's where you as a leader have to have those hard conversations. Um, and you may have to take them aside and go, hey, so we need somebody else to have time to talk. Um, we need to know that we aren't going to fix somebody. We're actually going to let them figure out how to, to, to be successful. So we're going to ask questions. Um, and that's one of the hardest things, I think, for leaders is not to give everybody their answers. Um, and so when I'm doing training, I'm teaching them how to ask good questions to guide the person to figure it out themselves. The things that we figure out that God reveals to us when asked a question where you're like, I hadn't thought about it from that angle. Um, those are the things that stick. And so that's what we're trying to do as leaders from these groups is to get things like that to stick. Um, I had one group, actually a current group, um, where we started out with six and three, are gone, three left over the time period. And um, it was hard. Because you kind of start going, is it me? Um, and yeah, part of it probably is, um, of personalities not matching. <laughs> Holly's in the group in the back. She's shaking her head. But it's one of those things where, where we still have to, you have to walk your leaders through that. Through the fact that some people, yes, partway through a group, they signed up and they are all in. And then all of a sudden, seasons in life change. Um, all of a sudden, a kid gets sick. Or a parent moves in. Or... They just personality-wise don't really like you anymore, um, and they're going to leave. And you're like, well, okay, we're going to have to talk, talk that through, um, and we're going to have to wear the big pants in the family <laughs> and be the adult in the situation um, and love them as they leave uh, and be ready for them to, to be a soft place to land when they may or may not want to come back to you. Now, they're not going to come back to the group. Once they leave the group, they're out of the group, um, and our groups are closed. So once they get started, like I said before, with the autobiography, people are not coming back into the group. Uh, and so that's the decision that they have to make. I want to talk about um, the characteristics of a disciple maker. Um, God has really put on my heart in the last several months that I've been so busy looking at the various ways to disciple people, um, looking at the various curriculums, looking at the different um, structures that people have come up with, all of that, that my focus has gotten a little off of Jesus. Um, the greatest disciple maker that ever lived. And so why then am I not focusing on him? So I was praying about it and asking God about disciple making. He's like, well, know me better. I'm like, oh, 
yeah, I guess if I do know you, Jesus, a little bit better um, and really look through the Gospels and really look at the relationships that he has, um, perhaps that will help me in my own disciple making. So that's what I've started doing. Um, I'm actually going to do a deep dive into this summer because I want to teach a class on it in the fall. My spiritual formation class I'm going to teach in the fall is, is really on the characters of characteristics of Jesus that we're going to take into disciple making um, and spiritual formation. But, but this is the, the light version of it so far. You know, the way that people changed in the New Testament, the ones that, that were able to, to be there when Jesus was there, they changed because they had encounters with Jesus. Now, obviously, that was just during his, his ministry time specifically, but their lives dramatically changed when they had experiences with Jesus. Um, and now we are representing him. We are the hands and feet of Jesus to people that may have never experienced him. Um, they may have never seen grace in action. They have ne- may have never seen true patience and love and joy and all of the fruit of the Spirit. They may never have seen that, or they saw it conditionally. And now it's up to us to show that to them so that they can show it to others because they need to see it in a very tangible way. Um, and that sounds daunting. <laughs> that sounds like, well, I'm not Jesus. I mean, which is true. We're not. Um, but we have a beautiful example all throughout the Bible to be able to show us what to do and how to do it, and the lens to see people through. And the one that he's really challenging me with is compassion, to see people truly with compassion, um, to know I don't even need to know that they had a child, hard childhood to still see with the compassion as if they did have a hard childhood. Um, or I don't need to see, I don't need to know all the details to have a reason to show them compassion. He didn't. He saw everybody with compassion. He healed with compassion. He, the reason he cast out demons and healed and did all of these things, the reason why he wanted to have encounters with them was because he wanted them to be reconciled to God out of compassion, right? It wasn't this rule-following, wagging of his finger that he did to anybody. He healed people because of compassion. And I think that's, um, that's a huge deal. And the Holy Spirit, though, has to give us the strength um, and the wisdom and the courage to do that. Because it's really easy, especially if you're in ministry, to get a cynical eye, uh, to be able to go, they've got all the time in the world. Why are they not volunteering? Seriously. You know? Or why did she let her kids just run around here? Seriously. Like, she just, they just toppled over three plants and stole all the mints. Really? <laughs> you know, that's the kind of things that we have to be really careful of. I think that Jesus would laugh at the mints being stolen. I think that he would probably go pick up the plants and clean them up if the kid knocked over the plants. But that's not my first sinful reaction, right? My first reaction is going, what kind of of mom does that? Like, seriously. You know, and so God's trying to rewire my brain to go just do what Jesus would do. It's that old, that old, was it 80s bracelet, you know, that WWJD? Um, There's something to that. There really is. Um, so why, did, why does Jesus want us to have mature disciples? We talked a little bit about it in the first session. Um, it's mature disciples that bring the kingdom to earth, right? I mean, we're the ones that should be able to have patience when things is go, are going nuts. We're the ones that should have peace when the world is spinning out of control. Um, I can't expect an infant or a toddler in the faith to be able to watch the news and not get extreme anxiety. But your mature believer should be able to to handle life around them and still maintain that peace, still maintain that joy, still maintain. And you may need a lot of help. You may need help from your sisters. Um, 
But that's what we're shooting for, right? We're shooting for denying self and being able to, to put our sinful nature on a shelf, hopefully, <laughs> and really, really work through the way Jesus would, would call us to, what he would want us to do. Um, and I think that's really where um, people are going to be attracted to the faith. Um, because if I'm spinning out of control with my anxiety, um, and I say, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, that's where my peace comes from. And they're like, I don't really see that much peace coming out of you. Um, why would I follow? Why would I go, yeah, that's something I want. Sure, yeah, I would really like that non-existent peace um, from you. So we're starting with grace and forgiveness. Um, John 8, 7 says, And as they continued to ask me, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. Well, we all know the story of the woman caught in adultery. Uh, and some will say that he was painting on the ground the sins of the people around her. I, you know, I guess we, we don't really know 100% sure what he was, he was writing on the ground in the sand. But um, he wasn't wagging a finger at her. He was looking at her with compassion. He was looking at her with grace. And he was telling her to sin no more. He was speaking truth, um, but he did it out of love. He did it out of love for her, and he did it out of compassion for her. Uh, it, was, it was showing her in a tangible way what grace and forgiveness looked like. And that's what we have to do for the people. I told the story earlier of, of my friend Cheryl that hadn't seen in her whole church experience before that she'd never been seen grace actually extended to her. She'd only seen you're doing this wrong extended to her. And so that's the story of a lot of people's um, church experience. They just know it as rules. They know it as things they're supposed to do, and they're never going to reach that bar. And so we need to be the ones that are actually showing them grace, helping them understand what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is one of the hardest, hardest, hardest biblical concepts you can ever do for yourself or teach to somebody else. You know, go to the person that has just been cheated on and tell them that they have to forgive. You know, the person whose drunk driver has just killed their child. Or even the person that just cut off in traffic, <laughs> got cut off in traffic, as simple as that seems. But the enemy, the enemy feeds off of unforgiveness. I do a lot of work now in, in deliverance ministry and, and freedom ministry, and I'm telling you, <laughs> unforgiveness is the enemy's playground. Um, and so we have to start really teaching people what forgiveness looks like. Um, and we're going to need to teach them from our own lives. So if you have areas of unforgiveness, I would, I would strongly recommend that you work through that uh, because it is going to be something that, that is going to produce fruit, um, especially in the people that you disciple because you need to give them your own personal examples. You know, like this happened and every part of me didn't want to forgive, but I knew biblically I needed to do that. And so, so I worked through it and I did. Um, and then I had to do it again the next day <laughs> and the next day after that until after a while I wasn't thinking about it anymore and I really had forgiven. Um, and that's what we have to share with them. We have to help them understand that. Um, we are such a feelings-based uh, culture that it is against most people's um, thought process to put aside their feelings because we've been told to, to feel. And now a lot of us struggle with feelings sometimes. Sometimes we have, have pushed our feelings under the rug for so long or we were brought up in a family that you weren't allowed to have feelings. So then we pushed the pendulum all the way other way where everything was about feelings, right? 
And so we have to teach people, like the example I gave this morning or this, earlier this afternoon of I felt this way, or no, I didn't tell the story because I need to tell the story. Um, I was, this was just a couple weeks ago. I work with a young woman. She's, I think, 25, a young mom, married about a year or two. She, um, she and I do a lot of the same things on Sunday mornings, so we interact a lot on Sunday mornings. And I was telling her that, she was like, oh, how was your morning? I was like, oh. My husband was, was just in a pity party place. He was just down before I was leaving. And every part of me was like, I got to get to work. Like, you just get to show up for church. I actually have a job to do, so I need to go. You know, that was every part of me wanted to do that. And I did a Holy Spirit pause, um, which is probably one of the most important concepts you can teach somebody. <laughs> have a Holy Spirit pause. And the Holy Spirit was like, he needs a soft place to land. I was like, oh. I did not want to be a soft place to land this morning. I'm feeling nothing soft here. I'm feeling very prickly. Um, but those were my feelings. I'm feeling this way. And the Holy Spirit was like, uh, so go be a soft place to land for your husband. Okay. So I did. Um, and so that was a win that I did. But the story I was trying to, the, the point I was trying to get across to her was that sometimes we have to be obedient over our feelings. Like, and it's not to do it in a disingenuine way. Um, because truly, once I sat down and was like, you know what, I'm going to be five or ten minutes later than I'd hoped. Okay. Um, and I got in the moment. I did want to be a soft place to land for him. I did want to love him well. Um, I was just putting my to-do list over loving him well. And so the Holy Spirit was like, yeah, no, we're not going to do that today. And you're not going to start off your church Sunday. Like, you're trying to be an example to people at church, and you're going to start it off by, you know, not being very kind to your husband. But it was one of those times. But I want, I say that to, to encourage you to share those stories with people that are in your lives. And it's not to say, yay, me, because honestly, it didn't look so good onto me because I was like, yeah, I was not a nice person. Um, even though I was obedient, my heart wasn't in the right place um, originally. And But it was very encouraging to her because she was like, yeah, I haven't been doing that lately. I've been like just going by what my feeling is and then doing what my feeling says I should do. She goes, because I feel very validated in my feeling. Um, she's like, so yeah, I need to be more obedient. She goes, but it's really good to hear that sometimes you don't feel that way. She goes, I just thought you were always like feeling kind towards your husband. I'm like, yeah, no, after 30 years, mm -mm, you're not feeling kind towards your husband every time. Um, and so, so it was a great time where we could exchange and she could see that it's, it's okay, you know, cause she was feeling guilty. She was get, feeling total, terribly guilty every single time she had an ill feeling. Um, and I'm like, yeah, no, just, push through. Obviously, sometimes we need to peel those feelings back, but a lot of times it's just a passing thing and let it pass and then move on. And that's okay. Part of grace and forgiveness is having awkward conversations, right? It's getting that vibe from that person that's not quite right with you. But do you really want to know why they're not really right with you? But you kind of know that they aren't. And Jesus loved a good awkward conversation, right? He was walking up to people all the time and having awkward conversations, even telling parables that people had no idea what he was talking about. And he still just kept on going. Um, we have to be okay with having those awkward conversations. Going, hey, I saw the, I saw when I was teaching, you had kind of a look on your face that, that, are you okay? Did I say something that, that, that didn't sit right? Or are you just struggling at home or, you know, whatever? 
and ask those questions. Be willing to actually get into the deep end with them um, or send somebody else to get into the deep end. I've been busy sometimes before, and I'm like, that person's not okay. Ask the Holy Spirit who needs some help today, especially on Sunday mornings or at events. Um, Holy Spirit, who needs some extra loving tonight? Because there are people that do. Um, you can't fill that for everybody. So I take up-and-coming leaders or leaders that, that I already have in place and go, hey, so I'm probably going to shoulder tap you tonight and send you over to have awkward conversations with people. Are you okay with that? And they're like, well, okay, sure. You know, yeah, I've always got a handful of people that are fine with that that can you know, start a conversation with anybody. Um, but do that. But know that you can't do that for everybody. So you need to have a team of people that are kind of willing to, to go over and they go, hey, how's it going? And mean it. Um, because a lot of people say that and they really don't mean it. And a lot of people coming into the church believe that nobody at the church means it because that's been their experience. And so they need to find some genuine people that actually do really mean it. And if you have to miss church service because you're having a conversation with somebody, that's okay. That's actually time very well spent. Um, and people need to be okay with that. And you need to give them permission to do that. I had one person go, I'm so sorry I missed service. And I'm like, okay. I mean, I don't take attendance on who's in there, you know? And she's like, well, when I got here, I saw so-and-so, and she just, she looked kind of distraught, and she caught my eye, and so I went over there, and we went over into the, you know, the courtyard, and we were just talking, and, and so, and I was praying with her, and I'm like, I feel like that's a Sunday morning well spent, um, <laughs> but they get so used to going, oh, I didn't checkbox, you know, church today. Um, the other thing about forgiveness is um, it's not a suggestion. <laughs> it's a command. So sometimes we have to remind people of that, um, that forgiveness is a command. Um, so empathy and compassion. Uh, Luke 8.43 is the story of the woman who was bleeding for 12 years. Um, she was an outcast. She was desperate. Uh, she decided to, what, basically sneak in and touch real quick, and I think I'll be healed. I know I'll be healed is basically what she was saying. And the beauty of that story and I, I do abiding prayers a lot, which are like a visualization type of prayer. And we, I use this story a lot because um, the healing presence of Jesus is huge. It's a big deal. Um, and the fact that he knew power was leaving him, he didn't get mad. He didn't, he, it wasn't an accusation when he asked who touched him. He wanted her to be seen. He wanted her to know that she was known that he had compassion on her, that he knew what her life had been like, and it wasn't okay. It wasn't his plan for her life to be like that. But now he, had, he saw her, he had compassion on her, and she was healed. So, so there are times when we can do good things for other people, but most of the time people just need to be seen. Um, and when they're seen and they know that they're known, that's where they're actually getting the empathy and the compassion from. Um, and so, but again, you can't do it all. Know that you can't do it all. So you need to have people that you're doing that for. And then you're going, hey, remember how, how we talked about at that time that you were in such a struggle? That person's in a struggle. Will you go love on them well? Um, and they'll be there. I haven't had anybody tell me no. <laughs> um, I've had them say, I don't think today's the best day for me. I'm like, okay, I'll tap you on your shoulder again next time. She's like, okay. Um, but then the next person, they go over and they're like, yeah, I'll, I'll go pray with them. Um, and we need to show that compassion, that empathy. Um, the Holy Spirit will give you the insight on who needs it, um, but you have to ask. <laughs> you have to be willing to ask.
Sometimes I'm not willing, I'll be honest. I'm like, I just don't have the bandwidth to do this today. <laughs> but um, luckily, the Holy Spirit usually overpowers that. Um, John 8, 28 Jesus said, when you, have lift, when you have lifted up the Son, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what is pleasing to Him. Obedience. Um, are we being obedient on a daily basis to God? Can I lay my head down at night? Because, you know, as the saying goes, obedience is God's love language, Right? And so, you know, can I lay my head down at night and say, Lord, what you called me today to do today, which was love you and love others, um, I was obedient to that today. Um, did I ask the Holy Spirit what he wanted me to do versus just me deciding what my to-do list was? Have I done those things and was I obedient when he told me to drop my to-do list and do the things that he asked me to do or change the order or reach out to that person that when you look at the text, you're like... We have all have them. We can pretend that we don't, but we all have that person that texts us that we know it's going to be a long conversation. Or you miss a call from them, you're like, do I have time to call them back now, or do I wait till after this? Because you know it's going to be, it's, it's not going to be, a, oh my gosh, I hope you're having a great day. Um, that's not what you're going to get on the other line. But, um, but we need to be obedient in those times. Um, and the, uh, Tina spoke earlier about knowing the scriptures. What do you know, how do you know what you're being obedient to if you don't know the scriptures that you're supposed to be obedient to? So a lot of people that are, that are actually not following the way that you believe they should follow just don't know the scriptures. So that's our jobs as leaders is to actually show them and tell them, well, why is it that you don't yell at your kids? Why is it that, that um, you, know, you, you support your husband instead of fighting with him on this? Or why is it that um, when asked to do the, the menial chore, you do it with, with joy? Um, show them the scriptures. Show them the scriptures and go, you know what? I don't have to like it to be obedient to it. I'm hoping that eventually I'll get to go, yes, this is God's best for me. He's a good God, so I'm going to be obedient to everything that he calls. But that doesn't mean I like it every time. Um, and that's okay for them to hear. They need to hear that I have to have attitude adjustments. When I was a kid... Um, I was sent to my room a lot for attitude adjustments um, because I was strong-willed and, and had my own opinion about a lot of things. Um, and so, and my parents didn't like that. Um, I know, shocking. <laughs> and so when I was having a bad attitude, I would be sent to my room for an attitude adjustment. And people need to hear that, yeah, I still need attitude adjustments sometimes. Um, but my goal is obedience. Um, and sometimes I have to be obedient before my heart catches up. Um, and when my heart gets in line on the first shot, then usually I realize that, okay, I've grown in this area, and that's a good thing. Um, you know, one of the women um, that, that is, so on, in my position um, as women's discipleship minister, so I try to disciple the women on staff. Um, it's loose, or I try to get them into relationships with other people. Um, but we, I try to have a lot of really um, significant conversations with them, like the one with the, with the young mom on Sunday morning. But I'm trying to do it as we go along. 
So they're not all coffees. They're not all special lunches. They're as we're doing our jobs, you know, as we're setting up for a women's event, as we're making copies, as we're doing whatever, we're having these conversations as just regular conversations. And I think that's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to be obedient in those regular conversations so that when we're having those, we could be complaining about the weather. We could be complaining about how our kids are doing this or that, or we could be asking really deeper questions or sharing things that are actually happening that are important. Um, Jesus was fully human and fully God. So he felt disappointment. He felt hurt by the people that weren't um, being obedient. Uh, And so he knows how you feel. Um, He knows what's going on in our hearts. And yes, he would like, like I said before, our hearts and our actions to be lined up. Um, But for a time, he knows that it's not always going to be Um, And because that's one of the beauties, I think, of the fact that he was fully human and fully God. He felt the same things we we feel. This seems obvious, but he was a really good listener. And I don't think all of it was just this supernatural. He was able to, you know, figure out everything that was going on in your head. Um, He was a really good listener. Um, and that seems like it should be a no-brainer that we should, you know, we're leaders in ministry. We are great listeners. Um, it's a skill. <laughs> it's a true skill to actually want to stay in the moment because I want to just fix the problem and move on. I'm like, let's get her done. Let's, let's move past this. And you've got that person that's going, I'm not there yet. Okay, well, let me sit down then. You know, let me get comfortable. This is going to take a minute. And be okay with that. Um, so stay in the moment. I have to check myself regularly to make sure I'm staying in the conversation and I'm not just anticipating their answer so I can anticipate my response. Um, and one of the best ways to do that is to not think about the conversation that you're going into. So much of the time, I think we want to anticipate the conversation that's going to happen. I will intentionally not anticipate the conversation I'm going to have with somebody just so that I can ask the Holy Spirit to be a lot more involved in the conversation. Because if I get ahead of myself and I'm like, okay, she's gonna, she texted me that she was going to ask this question. So this will be my response. She's probably got this scenario going on. So then I'll point her to this scripture. And so I've played out like several different scenes that could potentially happen. Um, they don't usually but I've already sent it down that path. So even if she tells me this, I'm probably still going to drag her over here. Um, And so, but if I don't try to plan out that conversation ahead of time, then I can stay much more in the moment. I can almost be surprised with what she's going to say. And then I can ask the Holy Spirit to actually intervene um, and and be a part of it. Um, Some of the best things that we can say is, I don't know. I really don't know what to tell you, but I know we can pray about it. And I know we can ask the Holy Spirit, and he might, he might show us now, or he might show us tomorrow and a year from now. Um, but I want to listen to you, and I want to be a good listener. Truth. So in John 8, 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, most of us, when we get to a point in our... our uh, Bible literacy or in our maturity, we're all like, God is good, and yes, his truths are best for me. But that's a really mature viewpoint, okay? Most people, the other 80% or more, are going, gosh, God is restrictive. Why can't I watch that movie? Why shouldn't I watch that movie? Why shouldn't I read that book? Why shouldn't certain words come out of my mouth? 
Why shouldn't I, I think those hateful thoughts about our leaders? They're bad people. So our goal in discipling people is actually we need to speak truth to them. But we need to have enough of a relationship and enough of all of the other stuff that we talked about before now that they can actually hear truth. Um, and usually truth is told a lot better um, when you actually do it through your own examples. So when you didn't listen to truth or when you chose to, to take a different path and you're like, wow, I really wish that I had not done this and I had actually done this and this is the scripture that I wish I would have followed, um, that goes a long way. Um, but you have to have that relationship to be able to speak truth. I can speak truth from up here, even though I'm not in relationship to any of you guys. But if I were to go, yeah, so um, we need to talk about how you're treating your husband. I can't do that with a stranger. I have to be in relationship with her. And so, um, so I encourage you to speak truth, not be afraid to speak truth. Most people actually, if you're in relationship with them, they want to hear it. They want to know that, that in an argument with their spouse, their job is to keep their side of the street clean. They don't get to retaliate. That is not biblical. Yes, let's get help for your spouse if there's you know, a sin issue, if there's this, there's that. And yes, we will come alongside them. We will, we will, I will bring our male ministers in. I will bring in my husband. Um, we meet with lots of couples for things, but that still doesn't mean you don't get to keep your side of the street clean. Tell me what you did. I had one person in one of our groups recently. She got into a fight with her, with her husband. He said some mean things, and she slapped him. And uh, the great part about it is, a year ago or two years ago, if that had happened, she wouldn't have told a soul. There would have been so much shame, she wouldn't have told anybody. But what she did instead, it was my birthday, so she didn't reach out to me. But she reached out to the other people that she was in relationship, the other people in our group. And she said, hey, this just happened, and I feel terrible. I need to confess it to my sisters. I need to get it out in the light. I don't want the enemy to feed off of this. Um, so this is what happened. And they gave her grace. And they said, go apologize to him. And she's like, I already did, but I still wanted to get this out. Um, and that's what discipleship does, right? She was a, it was a safe place for her to say, this is what I did. And it was wrong. But I did it in the heat of the moment. And I need you guys to know because I don't want the enemy to have a foothold. Um, and that's really important. They also, she also knew that they would speak truth back to her. Um, they weren't going to go, you totally, you, I would have done the same thing. You know, that's not that they were going to get. So now she's going to tell them instead of telling the girlfriends that she could have called that would have actually backed her up on what she did that was not biblical. And so that's what these relationships do. Um, but we have to be willing to speak truth. Um, ah, Humility. John 8, 54, Jesus replies, If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My Father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. First, let's talk about what humility isn't. It's not self-deprecation. As women, a lot of times we just keep putting ourselves down or we meet those people that just keep putting themselves down. It's okay to be excited about the gifts and the skills that God has given you. When an event turns out great and you were the head of that event, Praise God. That's where the humility comes in. The humility comes in as giving the actual glory to God for the successes. Even when it's a skill that you've learned, the aptitude that you had to learn that skill came from him. So it's giving God the glory in everything. 
Um, and now, like, I respond every time somebody says something that, wow, you did a great job on this, you did a great job on this, I'm always just replying, God is good. That's my response every time now, God is good. Uh, because I want to make sure I am constantly pointing back to God. He gets all the glory. But it's not going, oh, I'm nothing. I'm absolutely nothing. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm the worst at everything. I'm just terrible. That's not humility. That's false humility, and we don't want to get into that. Um, we do have to admit when we're wrong, and we have to apologize when we're wrong. There, I have said things in groups that I wish I could rewind the tape and take back. Um, I've said people to, things to people I disciple that I'm like, yeah, I should not have said that. I am sorry. I'm sorry I didn't. I said that. Um, I was saying that out of the flesh. That was not something that, that God would have wanted me to say, and I apologize for that. That's humility. That's making sure the people that you're discipling know that, yeah, you mess up too, and that's okay. Um, that happens. Um, and tell them why. You know what? I, that was the first thing that popped into my mind, and I did not even ask the Holy Spirit at all <laughs> his opinion um, before I shared my opinion. And they will respect you more because you've done that, because they understand that you are submitting yourself to God. Wisdom. John 8, 14. Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I'm going but you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. Jesus was speaking about his identity. We need to know our identity in Christ. Um, if that is an area that you're struggling with, um, I would encourage you to lean into to learning your identity in Christ more. Um, uh, Victory Over the Darkness is a great book by Neil Anderson um, that, that works on identity, that focuses specifically on identity. Um, I do that with a lot of people, that if that's an area that they're struggling with, we walk through that book. But um, he knew who he was, and he knew where his wisdom came from. Um, if you don't have that identity placed where it needs to be, um, it's going to be really hard to have true humility, true wisdom, um, and, and be able to share that. Because wisdom without context, so if it's just head knowledge, um, feels really hollow when you're sharing it. We've all had those people that would would share this great Bible theory, you know, Bible Bible information, and then you like, wait, but their life is, it didn't match up, you know? Or they would teach a parenting class, and their kids were like, mm, are you like, wait, what? <laughs> not 100% sure. Yeah, this isn't matching up. That's not wisdom. Um, and so we need to have our identity grounded. We need to, to be making the decisions that line up with God's will um, and be that example. Uh, and then we also need to know when we're not wise. <laughs> I don't have any experience in this. Let's look up what the Bible says. <laughs> um, and then let's go find somebody else that actually has more. You know, there are people that, that have had losses in their lives that I haven't experienced. And so I can love them in that moment but I may need to, it may be more wise to connect them with somebody else that's actually gone through that and lived through that. And that's a good thing. That's what leaders do. We pass people to where they need to go and we don't hang on to them so tightly. Um, use stories. Um, Jesus told parables all the time. People learn through stories. Um, I have told stories that, that maybe the main focus of the story was actually something different than it was. And it's not making it up. It's just more of like, most people would have focused on, you know, the car accident that happened, but instead it was really the ambulance ride or it was the, the you know, the, the person that came to the side of the road to help us. 
And so, so have stories and think of the places that God has worked in your life that you can then tell the story to the other person. Um, because when you're sharing things like wisdom, a story helps it stick. Um, even pulling a story out of them going, Hey, you know what? I remember though, like last year, whatever happened and you handled that well. Let's peel that part back. What made you decide to like really forgive your husband then? And she was like, well, I mean, it was the right thing to do. All right, well, it sounds like you already have the wisdom you need. Um, let's apply that now to this situation. Okay, thanks. Um, so the will of the Father, uh, this goes along with obedience. Um, it was his character. It was who he was. Um, that's something that we are always shaping our character um, we did a Dallas Willard study this, uh, both this fall and this spring, and it was all about character um, and shaping our character into, into Christ-likeness. And one of the things that stuck out to me was, so part of my character is not to steal. Okay, Hopefully most of you have that same character trait. Um, so when I go into Target, it's not a decision not to steal from Target. It's just who I am, right? So our goal is that our our character is lining up with Christ. So we're actually not making that many big decisions. It's just part of who we are not to lie. It's part of who we are not to pretend we're busy when we're not. It's not part of who we are to, to love somebody well. Um, and that's, that's how we are submitting to the will of the Father. Um, and we're practicing so it just becomes part of who we are. So we're actually not making so many decisions every day uh, trying to stay in his will. All right, I've gotten the two-minute warning here. Um, disciple making. Oh, it's the last one. Um, we are called to do it. Uh, it is daunt. It can be daunting. It is messy. It is not predictable. Uh, I wish I were here to tell you that it is. <laughs> the curriculums that we use, uh, we in the in the group. I'll just say it real quick. We use our autobiographies. Then we use a basic. Um, this is Christian beliefs. Um, we use what's called trust and follow, and you can get that on Renew too. Um, and it's it's really simple. It's question-based, and so we can just have a conversation about it. Um, and then I let the leaders decide what's best for their group. Um, one of our leaders right now, all of the guys in the marriage are really struggling, and so he did a marriage study. And boy, has it turned all of their lives around because they're in transparent, accountable relationships doing a marriage study. So they come back and go, okay, did you practice it? And they're like, oh my gosh, my wife was so happy, you know? Um, and, or, yeah, no, big fail on that one. Whatever it is, but they're in those relationships where they actually can have that accountability and transparency. So I've done, like, victory over darkness if I've realized that the group needs, um, needs that. Um, I've done, I've even done things like Heinz Feet in High Places, which is an allegory book that's, that's beautiful. Um, when people really need to, when there's a lot of people that, that are in dark places and need to really see that Jesus is with them, then we might do that. Um, and so I leave it up to the leaders, but I'm asking the leaders to tell me what they're doing. So if they're going really rogue, I'm like, yeah, maybe that's, that's not actually going to really line up with our church at all. Or this one part of this author, we don't align with. So please bring that out to your group members that, that this is, this author lines up progressively in this way. And that's not who we are. And so please, please point that out to them. I'm not going to throw the baby out with the bathwater because I think that we need to, to learn how to read discerningly. Um, so it means that we don't, 
every author that I don't agree 100% with, I'm not going to just discount the good things that they say. I'm going to take the good and I'm going to get rid of the bad. Um, but we need to teach our people to do that because right now people are not reading necessarily discerningly. They're just going, oh, this author believes this, gone. Um, and I don't think that is necessary, um, but I do think we need to be able to, to read that way. And we need our leaders to be able to do that. But a lot of times I have to help them with that. That is what I have. You guys, um, thank you for being here. I know it's been a long afternoon, and this room keeps getting hot and then cold and then hot and then cold. I thought it was just menopause, but apparently I think it's the room. Um, but um, I'm happy to stay off after and answer any questions if anybody has them. But thanks for being here. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, I thoroughly enjoyed those episodes from womenofrenewed.org. I hope that you did as well. Next up, we're going to be going down the Bonhoeffer Project episodes. We've got Sandy Mason, and she's going to be talking to us about how it's all in the Word. It's all in the Word. It makes me think of the, the office. It's all good. So next up, make sure you, uh, you know, I'm in here all by myself in this podcast studio. So I have nobody else to talk to and to laugh with. So I'm, I'm counting on you in your car right now to be in the same goofy mindset that I'm in right now. So if you're not, my apologies. Check back on the next episode. Maybe I'll be in a more, you know, better state of mind. All right. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode. Have a great day. Thank you.